0: Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God honoring. And because they are God honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Before he has spoken. Would you pray with me as we open the word that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive the word and that by grace he would change us to the image of Christ, that we would conform, that we would obey the word that's spoken this morning. God, thank you so much that we don't have to wonder at your voice, that we don't have to wonder what you think or what you say. You have given it to us. You have spoken through your word. The word is the scepter through which you rule your church. God, this morning, I ask that you would rule us, that you would receive the glory that during this time, especially during this season, as even unbelievers are singing songs about you, would you keep us aware of what you're doing. Would you make your gospel quick on our tongues? Would you help us to remember Jesus Christ? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. And while you're turning there, Ask, has anybody ever had a situation or something where you have misheard something all your life and you've, you either see it written down or you hear somebody you know say it clearly and you're like oh that's not what i thought it meant like uh for example when i was a kid i would hear like on tv or someone say it, it, it's a doggy dog world out there it's like what's a doggy what's dog <laughs> I think I think Michael Scott had the same problem in the office, but um, it's a it's a it's a doggy dog world out there. And then you see oh it's a dog eat dog world out there. So dogs are fighting and killing each other. Okay, that makes sense, right? Um, or um, one of my favorites. I I had heard the the song from um, Sound of Music. You guys remember uh, Doe a deer a female deer. All that. Uh, So, got the sulfate. When it gets to the the tea, I always heard it as tea, a drink with German bread. Like, they're they're like near Germany, right? And I'm sure that, you know, tea goes with German bread. I've eaten at German restaurants before. It's usually the thing I was looking forward to the most, like that warm bread with the butter and the tea. It's really good. But that's not what they're saying. (laughs) They're saying tea, a drink with. Jam and bread. I just thought that they their accents. Do you know, dig with jam and bread? It's German bread, right? <laughs> and then I go to uh, Kathy was teaching in a Christian school, and they were putting on a production of Sound of Music, and they start singing the song, and I'm singing German bread with them, and then they start saying and jam and bread and jam jam and bread. That makes much more sense, right? Okay, so we mishear things sometimes. And certain things come along that that help clear them up, clear up the confusion. So that happened for me just recently, and particularly in this passage with a phrase. But we'll get to that. Let's start in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, and we're going to read through verse 10. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his death. This is the word of the Lord. So as we do, we're going to walk through this verse by verse to see this is, the very, this is the very Word of God. We've been walking through Philippians verse by verse, and we are now in chapter 3, and Paul is beginning to take a turn here. He's starting to say, okay, I'm about to close this letter, so pay attention. You, we should lean forward and hear what he has to say. These are the things that he wants to, leave, to not leave unsaid. Finally, my brothers... Note that Paul feels about this church that he's planted, that they are brothers, that they belong to him, that he belongs to them, that they're members of the same family through adoption the word. He loves them. This speaks his commitment to them. If you had a brother and you were riding him long distance, and in Paul's case, perhaps even before he's about to die, what would you say to them? What would be your encouragement to them? This is why our ears should perk up at this. This is what he's wanting to say. Pay attention here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. This is easy to skip past. We've heard this phrase many times. And this is indeed the phrase that I have thought the emphasis was different than it was. So growing up in church, you might hear this phrase often in passing. I know I did. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Now, I always placed the emphasis on the wrong part. Rejoice. So when I when heard the word in the Lord, I thought it was you know, like a state of being, like in the spirit. Or just, you know, we're, uh, this is the relationship that we're in. So we're in Christ. Therefore, we should rejoice. But That's not actually what the emphasis is in this, in this text. It's not a state of being. Rejoicing in the Lord is not being in some kind of euphoric state all the time. Paul has something more specific in mind. We're to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. That is, to rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord that he's referring to in that. So it's not some state of being like rejoice in the Lord. We're rejoicing in Jesus. It's outside of ourselves. It's not some state of being that we're in, we're told to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the reason we're to be rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus. Have you ever been to a church service or a worship event and you feel like you're being like pumped up? They're like they're saying, come on, let's get going. Let's sing, you know, let's let's get let's get excited. Let's get joyful. And they're trying to get a response out of us. It's trying to pump us up. Trying to, you know, up there vamping. Let's get excited! Yeah! Kind of a thing. Does it it feel phony sometimes? Does it feel like a sham? Like, I'm really not happy right now, but I'm going to pretend to be because I'm here. Um, Maybe I've had a really bad week. Maybe I'm struggling with sin, and I feel like God would not accept my worship if I sang to Him, but you're, you're being told to be excited. Be excited anyway. Just come in. Cold to start. Excited. Why? Why should I sing? Why should I be excited? Is it about my circumstances? Maybe. You know, we can, see, we can look and see God's faithfulness in all of our circumstances. Every single thing that has come about in our week has come through his hands first. So, yes, our circumstances are reasons to rejoice, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying rejoice in the Lord, it feels like we're trying to drum something up that isn't there, that if we just white knuckle it and just I will be happy, I'll tell myself, be happy, be excited, that I'll find I'll believe it. And we don't, because it's it's false. Inexhaustible joy is not found in ourselves. It's not found at Sitting down and thinking about what I like to do, how blessed I am, who I am, what I've done. It's found outside of ourselves, it's found in Jesus Christ. And that when he says rejoice in the Lord, he's saying don't look in yourself. He's saying look to Jesus Christ, look at him. Rejoice. You don't feel like rejoicing? Raise your eye to heaven. And look to Jesus, look on Him, the Son of God incarnate. Jesus, the glory of heaven. See Him stoop to put on flesh and be born to a virgin. See Him leave the riches of heaven to be born into a filthy cattle stall. Hear the angels proclaim to lowly shepherds the arrival of the chief shepherd. See Him obey His heavenly Father perfectly and his earthly parents, living a life in obscurity, working with his hands. God the Son is not too proud for manual labor. Note the humility of Christ. Hear his wisdom confound the Pharisees in the temple, the teachers. See him fasting in the wilderness, dogged by temptation by Satan saying, turn these stones into bread. Who, like, unlike Adam, who had everything he ever needed, Jesus didn't have the food that he needed, and yet he resisted Satan's temptation. This is our Lord. See him healing the sick with lifelong illnesses who had given up hope of being healed. See demons flee before him into swine and run off the cliff in terror. This is the God who commands angels. This is the God who commands demons to flee. See nature itself bend to his will when he is in the boat and he says, peace, be still And the wind and the waves, obey his command. He is sovereign over nature. This is our God. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hear him pronounce judgment and terrify sinners. Then see him look to the Pharisees and flow open their hearts, their self righteousness. See his tears for his beloved people. Hear his rebukes and his tenderness. Hear his father thunder from heaven This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is our Lord. See him braid a whip of cords and drive the money changers from his father's house. See him sweating great drops of blood in the garden. See him falsely accused, mocked, spit upon, stripped of dignity. He opens not his mouth. See him savagely beaten with whips great strips of flesh hanging from his back. See the crown of cruel thorns pressed into his temples. His beard ripped in bloody handfuls from his jaw. See him led through the streets carrying his cross. They reach Golgotha. He lays down on the wood of his own accord. No one made him. His hands and his feet are outstretched and fastened the wood with massive nails. He speaks, but not in his own defense. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The sun hides his face. Darkness creeps over the scene. See him hanging on the cross. Your damnation, your damnation heavy upon his shoulders. His lungs filling with fluid. His last breaths gasping out, Father, forgive them. And it is finished. See the weight of our sin when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he dies, tetelestai, it is finished into your hands I commit my spirit a spear thrust into his side shows proof that he's dead water and blood flow from his side water for expiation blood for propitiation the wrath of God satisfied in our place and the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin this is our God this is our Lord Jesus see his mutilated body wrapped in linens and spices and laid in a borrowed tomb. A massive stone rolled across its mouth, a contingency of guards called to keep watch, but no one steal his body. In silence. Lo, the earth waits in silence. Its creator buried but on the third day the stone lies hurled away, the guards lay as if dead angels which heralded his birth herald his resurrection this is our Lord, he is risen from the grave he has conquered death the keys of death and hell are in his hand, he appears to his disciples he restores them he forgives them. He commissions them. He sends to heaven and he sends his spirit to empower them. And now, even now, he rules and he reigns over all things. This is our Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Outside of ourselves, outside of our circumstances, there is a living Jesus Christ, who pleads for us at the right hand of the Father, who sacrificed once and for all. He is worthy of our praise. When we don't feel like worship, when we don't feel like singing, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus, not to ourselves and our circumstances and our feelings. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Okay. How can we keep from sinning? But there are some for whom this is not enough. Those for whom Christ is not enough. And that is who we're going to be dealing with in verse 2. Turn to verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Okay, who is this? <laughs> who are we talking about here? These are the Judaizers. Anybody heard of the Judaizers before? You read the book of Colossians, read the Galatians. You know, this, this is, these are false teachers that have crept into the churches that Paul has planted and are subverting the gospel. They don't plant their own churches. They don't go start their own things. They weasel their way in to the church and start to turn people's focus from Christ to themselves. These are the Judaizers. These three titles referring to the same group. Paul has a history, as we said, in Colossians and Galatians wrestling with these false teachers that have crept in. And this is their pernicious doctrine. This is what they're preaching. Gentiles had to conform to Judaism before they could become Christian Christians. In other words, since Jesus was the Messiah for the Jews, in order to lay hold of him... They had to become Jews, they had to be circumcised, they had to follow dietary practices, they had to submit to the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. The arrogance of these people, the arrogance when Jesus said, it is finished, they said, not until you do your part. Does the sun have need of your day-old glow stick to light the earth? Will the ocean dry up for one of your spit? This is the worthlessness of what we contribute to our salvation. Nothing. But they're saying that we have to save ourselves by following the law or else Christ will be of no effect. See, the ceremonial laws and the customs of the Jewish people were meant to preserve the line of Christ, to distinguish the people through whom the Messiah would come, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The reason that these customs were adopted was so that the line of Jesus would be protected and preserved. But much like a flyer for an event that has already passed, to to submit to them again would be useless, especially for the Gentiles. It would be like hanging up a flyer from last year for a concert that's already happened. All these things were meant to point to Jesus who was to come. And He came. He didn't get rid of the law. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law in our place and He submitted in our place. Therefore, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. As Paul writes in Romans 10.4, the law fulfilled their purpose. Circumcision is no longer required. Dietary restrictions are overturned. As we saw, um, Peter had the vision in Acts where God had made all things clean. But yet, these false teachers are creeping in and saying, No, you need to submit again. You need to become Jews in order to partake in the Jewish Messiah. And Paul writes scathingly in Galatians. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith... We, can, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in, Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Paul absolutely railed against them as they had infiltrated the churches and led many astray. And he was warning the Philippians, they are coming. Now note, um, he calls them dogs. He has three titles for the Judaizers. He calls them dogs. Dogs in the scriptures are filthy. Eaters of the dead. Like if you look up if you look up the references to dogs, almost all the time they're eating dead people. That's that's who they're subsisting on. Malicious. Attacking. We see this in Revelation twenty-two, fifteen, as he's talking about the, the New Jerusalem and those who are outside of it, those who are excluded from the New Jerusalem, says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The insult dogs was reserved by the Jews for Gentiles. In fact, um, when a Canaanite woman came to Jesus that her daughter would be healed, he says, it's not fit for me to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs, meaning her as an outsider. Of course, Jesus has mercy on her, and he does heal the daughter, but outsiders are viewed as dogs. So therefore, when Paul calls the Judaizers dogs, what a supreme insult, he's saying, it is you who are really the outsider. It's you who are really the dogs, you who think that you have got this button down. you have thought that you have got all these things right. You are the ones who are outside. As a side note, sometimes insults are called for. not with gentle not with the gentleness that we approach mistaken brothers and sisters, but those who are false teachers, who are heretics, those who are seeking to lead the people of God astray, to follow after self-trust or follow after false gods. Jesus called them ravening wolves. Paul calls them dogs. Sometimes insults are necessary for those who are wanting to lead people astray, that we can distinguish between them. Because gentleness with wolves is violence to the sheep. But what makes these teachers so dangerous? For we, he says, in, let's go to verse 2. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. All right. Paul used three descriptors for the Judaizers and he just used three descriptors for the true people of God those who are of God are the true circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh And these things are directly opposed to the three titles that he used for the false teachers which were dogs evildoers and mutilators of the flesh So here he gives the contrast. The truly circumcised worshippers of the triune God who put no confidence in the flesh. This is what sets them apart. Let's examine each of these contradictions here. The truly circumcised. What does it mean to be truly circumcised? What does it mean to be circumcised of heart? Paul writes in Romans 2, 28-29, A Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right. So, who are the truly circumcised? Who are the ones whose hearts have been changed? It's not the physical circumcision that counts. But the new birth, that is being born again, being regenerated, having the Holy Spirit removed from our flesh, the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. This is the new birth. This is what it means to be the truly circumcised, those who are born again. The Judaizers were also described as evildoers, as evildoers. Their worship is false. They do what is evil. In contrast, God's people worship the true God, the triune God. Let's look back at that verse 2 and notice this. Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Note the triune nature of this verse. Our God is Trinity. He is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He who has not the Son has not the Father, right? We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus. But were we told just a, just a couple, just a verse ago, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is glorying in Jesus Christ, making Him our glory. So how does this mechanism work? What is, what is distinguished between triune worship, for Trinitarian worship, and this false worship. We worship by the Spirit and glory in Jesus Christ, and as we read in Philippians 2, to the glory of God the Father. In fact, let's look at that verse. Philippians 2, starting in verse 9. He's just got done talking about how Jesus humbled himself and he put on flesh and he took our cross willingly how he submitted himself to God how he died and this is what he says therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. How do we truly worship the Father? Through the Son. He has given Jesus the name of the above name. So when we look to Jesus, when we rejoice in Jesus, when we glory in Jesus, the God, the Father, gets the glory from it. And who turns us to Jesus? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit we worship by the Spirit. We worship, by the, we worship God the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. This is how the relationship of the Trinity works in our worship. This is why our worship is Christ-centered, because God has raised up Jesus to be the object of our worship. When every knee bows to Jesus, God the Father gets the glory. Worship by the Spirit looks like glorying in Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul calls the Judaizers mutilators of the flesh. Mutilators of the flesh. This is, of course, in reference to circumcision itself, the act of circumcision. He writes in a previous epistle a strange request. He says, I wish that those who are troubling you would emasculate themselves. Because these Judaizers were pushing these same doctrines in those other churches. That sounds rather strange, doesn't it? How I wish that those who are troubling you would emasculate themselves. Well, in essence, this is what he's saying. If you think that the physical act of slicing off pieces of your genitalia can justify you before God, then go for the gold take it all off because it can't that's mutilating the flesh trusting in our own works mutilating the flesh in contrast those who are in Christ those who are in Christ put no confidence in the flesh okay so here's the final contrast those who mutilate the flesh who trust in their own works who trust in their physical obedience and those who put no confidence in the flesh Judaizers always flaunted their credentials. They said, we are the ones who have access to God because of our conduct, because of our status, because of our birth. We are the people of God, truly. But Paul was the real deal. Paul was the real McCoy. In verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay. Circumcised on the eighth day, there was a time limit for when Male children could be circumcised from the eighth day to the twelfth day. Unless the child was sick, then they would have a seven-day extension. But Paul, right on the first day, right on the first of those days available, the eighth day, he was obedient to the law from birth, basically. He belonged to God's chosen people. He was of the people of Israel, God's chosen people of the tribe of Benjamin, belonging to a faithful tribe, a tribe that with Judah didn't go astray in idolatry at Bethel, worshiping the golden calves. With Judah, the only other tribe to return from captivity. This was one of the two faithful tribes of Israel. He had an unbroken pedigree of Hebrews on both sides, so he wasn't some half-blood Jew that, that were floating around, these Hellenistic Jews who spoke Greek. He No, he was... Hebrew on both sides. The Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a member of the strictest set of the Jews. The most esteemed in Jewish society, the Pharisees, raised in strictness at an early age by a Pharisee father. In other words, he had more degrees than Fahrenheit. The most passionate, going as far as persecuting the church. And he was totally unimpeachable in his adherence to the ceremonial laws. So, those who were pushing their own holiness, those who were saying, We have this together, Paul was far out credentialed. He out credentialed them. They looked like nothing compared to Paul's adherence to the law. But this is what Paul has to say about that. Verse 7. But whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Believer, You can know Christ. Did you know that? God is not some abstraction. He is not some distant deity that we have to wonder at. He is imminent. He can be known. And how is he known? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. You can know God. But I'll warn you. You'll lose everything. He said, I count everything as loss. And indeed, Paul lost everything. But you know what? It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Every loss that you bear in his name, your good name, your position in society, your sense of self-worth, your safety, your job, your family. The worth of Jesus will outshine everything. Paul uses strong language to illustrate just how little these things are of worth compared to Christ. He calls them rubbish, which in the original language had a much stronger That of manure, refuse, um, might even be considered an expletive. But everything that he had was worth that little compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26, we are called to be willing to give everything for the sake of Christ. Why? Because He is worth it. He is worthy of any sacrifice we can make. Are you scared of of offending people by, by proclaiming the gospel? He says anyone who's ashamed of Him, He will be ashamed of. Are you scared of losing your job? Are you scared of losing your home and your family? You cannot gain Christ without being willing to give everything to him. He says, I've counted them as, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. You cannot have both God and your stuff. Must be willing to give it up. And that includes your attempts to save yourself. That, that feeling of self-worth, that I earned this, that I, by my actions, by my obedience to the law, by my working, I'm saved. In verse 9, he says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Would you gain Christ? Put no confidence in the flesh. You cannot appease God. You cannot the righteousness that you need, righteousness that I need, is not found on our own, by our own obedience to the law. The righteousness we need is from God. It's from God. It's outside of ourselves. And it depends on faith. Put your trust Christ trust him repent of sins and trust in Jesus alone he has paid our debt and in so doing you will share the power of his resurrection you'll be raised the last day with him will be raised not maybe will be raised with him You may even share in some of his sufferings on earth. But he is worth it all. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you help us to rejoice in you, to glory in you? We cannot save ourselves. But you have saved us single-handedly. You did everything that was necessary. God, may you receive all glory this morning. Would you help us to repent of sins, from the sins of trusting in ourselves? from the sins of holding back and trusting you for fear of loss. Would you give us confidence? Would you give us the resolve to say, no matter what the world does, I will worship Jesus Christ. and glory in him is my Lord because he gave himself for me. He bought me with a price. I belong to him. And if there are there's here, there they are here this morning that do not know you, that have not repented of their sins, that have not trusted in you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, open their hearts to receive the message of the gospel, that it is finished. Would you help them to glory in Jesus Christ? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.